You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to Fantastic Episode 98 of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and with me is our esteemed editor-in-chief, Neil Hughes of Apple Insider. Hey, Victor. How's it going? I am so glad you're back. <laughs> Are you? I am. So where, where did you go? You were out of America for a while, weren't you? Um, I, I just went to uh, uh, Mexico for to Cancun for a, a quick trip, like six days. So this was this was research for moving Apple Insider's headquarters to Mexico. Yeah, uh, inspired by Donald Trump or something. I don't know. Uh. Yeah, that's that's where I was going with that. Yes. <laughs> well, welcome back. We're glad you're here. Thank you. I, I want to dive right in and talk about some deals for our listeners. It is possible to save anywhere from $130 to $350 instantly on Apple's new Touch Bar MacBook Pros with Apple Care, and that's no tax in 48 states. Uh, of course, you're responsible for a tax to your own state. Um, so we have the lowest deals anywhere, and this is via our, our partner and reseller, Adorama, and our Apple price guide that we maintain at Apple Insider. And if you use the code APINSIDER, then you can save as much as $130 to $350 off the 13-inch MacBook Pros or the 15-inch MacBook Pros. These are both the without and with Touch Bar models. Uh, I, I want to remind you that the Touch Bar models are currently backlogged two to three weeks for new orders at Apple, but uh, each order will be fulfilled as soon as it's received. And if you're in the market for a new MacBook Pro, please consider these deals. Getting past the deals, I want to go right to the most important news of the day. This is, this is what I've been waiting for. And I want to ask you all about your opinion that, uh, that, that it looks like Super Mario Run demo stations will be installed in Apple stores. My opinion on demo yeah, stations tell me, being installed? Can't, I, I have been waiting for this moment. I'm going to be going to the Apple store and playing Super uh-huh. Mario Run. I, I think they're going to be swamped, don't you? I mean, they're they're always swamped. So, what, what would be any different? <laughs> you know? I, I'm it's, I'm it's, predicting lines around the block for this. This is going to be so great. It, 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 Apple has very aspirational products, so it always draws people into the store that want to play with the G Wiz Wow kind of stuff. Um, and it's always kind of fun when you go to the Apple store and you see kids and even adults, you know, picking up an Apple pencil or playing around and stuff. So, you know, I, I think that's one of the draws of the store. And, and having this demo in there, you know, a week before, a couple of days before the game is set to launch uh, is good for business. Uh, folks are going to want to play it. And I can't imagine this game is going to be anything but a hit. Um, you know, it's Mario, it's Nintendo. You know, it's going to play well. You know that it's going to be a fun game to play. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, I think it'll be a big hit. Speaking a little more seriously on my part, the, uh, th- there were several unusual things about this product launch, this this Gap app launch. First of all, it's the first time that we've had a pre-order on the App Store. Yeah, it was more like notify me when available, which is something that they do on the iTunes store for you know upcoming – like when a movie is in theaters, for example. Yes. You can go on iTunes and they'll have it listed on there. So like right now, if you went to see Fantastic Beasts or Doctor Strange or something currently in theaters, you can say, oh, let me know when this is available on the iTunes store. Or you can even pre-order, I believe, so that when it does come out on the iTunes store, you'll own it. So this is something they've done on their other storefronts, but now, you can, now they're making it on the App Store as well for heavily hyped upcoming things i suppose yeah and and it is also one of the first big pushes that nintendo has actually done to put one of their games on someone else's platform yeah it's the the this is the first time really in a long time that that nintendo is anything like this um they dabbled with it some in the 90s there was a 
horrible. I don't think they developed the games though, but they licensed out some of their characters to like a Panasonic media player or something. So there's these like nightmarish versions of the Legend of Zelda that are uh, uh, that were like lost to time that uh, people have like found and and uh, posted videos of online. And it's pretty hilarious. But yeah, this is the first time that Nintendo in earnest has uh, brought their characters and platforms in development to uh, to a, a another platform. So what we get is an endless running game with the the graphics that you'd expect for a Mario game. Uh, and you tap on the screen to make Mario jump to avoid obstacles, strike objects, clear jumps. And the longer you tap, the higher he jumps. Um, on-screen items can reverse Mario's direction. And there's also a, a, a battle mode called Toad Rally, where victory is determined by the number of coins you collect, with the ghost of your competition visible as you run. So you can, you can kind of see what's going on between you and competitors. It's, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I know that yeah, I don't think this game is going to reinvent the wheel. It's an endless runner. Um, right. But I think the combination of, you know, some, it's Mario. Yeah, it, it, well, it's, <laughs> it, but it's also Nintendo. And Nintendo, there, there have been people for years who have said Apple should buy Nintendo, Apple should buy Nintendo. I don't think Apple should buy Nintendo. However, the reason that partnership, theoretical partnership makes sense, and, and this partnership in it being first to launch on iOS, is because Nintendo is synonymous with quality. Um, even when you buy a system of theirs that doesn't do so well, like, for example, the Wii U, which is now out the door for the Switch coming next year, the Nintendo first-party games on the Wii U are spectacular. And so it's kind of well-known within the gaming community that you buy Nintendo systems for Nintendo games because the third-party support is always going to be lacking. And so that's why the idea of Nintendo games on iOS or Apple TV or any other thing is very exciting because Nintendo games are extremely well made. Uh, the gameplay is very tight uh, and and the production and the presentation, just everything from top to bottom really nails it. Yeah. And it's it's a $9.99 title for the whole entire track, the whole thing to be unlocked. Isn't and it like free to play and then you can unlock it for 10 bucks? Yeah. Something like that, but but it it you know we first saw it in the September iPhone seven release event, and you get you get iOS ten stickers for iMessage available with it. It's it's uh, I'm 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 thinking it's one of the ones that I'm going to buy for ten bucks for Mario. Even though ten bucks feels a little steep, I, I feel like, and I, I should be careful how I say that because. They, they certainly deserve the money they charge for it. And we've had a history of apps that have been free to play with ad support or, or 99 cents. Um, charging $10 for Super Mario Run doesn't feel wrong necessarily. Yeah, that's a weird thing with the pricing of games where like some people are like $60 for a game that lasts eight hours. You know, they don't want to pay that. Whereas I look at that sometimes and I see the production and the effort that goes into it, you know, the graphics, storytelling, the sound, everything on a, on a high-end $60 game. And it's like, I'm happy to pay $60 for that. But different consumers have different ideas of what their money's worth. They'd rather get $61 games for their iPhone than pay for one $60 game. Yeah. I, I try and view it in the terms of... of how much enjoyment am I getting out of this and what else would I pay for that would cost that for similar enjoyment? You know, if I go to an amusement park, it's going to easily cost me a hundred bucks or more by the time I get in the per gate, person. I buy food or whatever, right. Yeah. Per person, 60 bucks for eight hours of enjoyment is kind of a bargain when you view yeah, it I, I in, don't, in that I, perspective. Yeah. I, I just picked up a, a game that I haven't started playing yet, but I'm going to the last guardian for PlayStation four. And I saw people were complaining on the reviews that they were saying it was like a 12 hour long game for $60. And it's like, 
I, I, so I don't have 12 hours to beat a game a lot of times. I actually like games that are short, like these 40-hour epics, you know, placed, uh, the, like uh, Final Fantasy 15 or whatever. I don't have the time to play that You're gonna stuff. You're going to play that for, for 40 to 60 days, right? <laughs> Half yeah, an hour at a time. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't have the time to, to finish a game of that size. So to me, it, it, these days, it's kind of appealing when a game is, is short or quick or whatever. And that is one of the advantages that iPhone games do have. Um, where you can pick up and play them and then come back to them. But they're they're meant to be played in small doses. It's very easy, you know, just to pick it up and come back to it or whatever. whatever. It's just that there's, there's this consumer perspective of, you know, anything more than free is, is too much. So it'll be interesting to see how people respond to this $10 of the game. But I'm happy to see it. And I think developers should start charging more for games. And I think that yeah. consumers should deal with it. Well, another way I think of it is, am I going to use this thing for more than 10 days? Am I going to play Super Mario Run for, for 10 days? And the answer How long is, did you play Pokemon? Uh, actually, I didn't. So I'm, I'm a bad example on that one. But, well, it was but, free. You know, if I, so. But if I pick up Super Mario Run and I play it for you know a few minutes a day or 30 minutes a day and whatever, I get some enjoyment out of it. And I do that for 10 days running. I've spent a dollar a day. Yeah. Y- yes, no, I'm fine with that. Yeah. No, that's, that's not a problem. On to more serious topics. So there was a patent that Apple filed uh, for Autonomous Vehicle Collision Avoidance System. And we, we've talked back and forth about Apple and where they stand with CAR and, and, oh my God, the world's ending. They're canceling the whole Project Titan all, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which was, I, I fully expect to be driving an Apple car in 2025, right? Right. What, help me understand, which, where is reality within this spectrum of canceling everything and Apple cars taking over the whole road? Well, it's been an interesting week because Apple disclosed with a federal agency that they're investigating uh, into uh, automated vehicle technology, uh, pursuing uh, the an investment in it to, because they see a future. In it, and so they wanted to ensure that companies um, are going to be uh, have the ability to to be on the road and test their vehicles to ensure the future of this market. So uh, they filed a letter to the NHTSA, um, basically National which is the Highway, National Highway Transportation Tra- yeah. Traffic Safety Administration. Thank you. Um, basically, they want to make sure that there's a safe and flexible path forward for the development of automated vehicles, um, and they want to have. Uh, regulations that are open for companies that might be new to the industry. So, for example, Apple, Google, uh, Uber uh, are not car builders. Uh, so for them to be shut out by existing regulations would not be fair. It would not encourage competition in the marketplace. So this is uh, one of the few acknowledgments by Apple that they're that they're interested in this type of technology. Obviously, the patent that came out this week that, that we discovered and reported on first is, is part of that as well. Um, and then another interesting component of it that came out this week was uh, there's been a problem in the past with uh, if you're doing artificial intelligence, machine learning type research, um, you want to be able to publish that information, to share it, 
Uh, and that's ideal for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, if you're a publisher working on, or uh, I'm sorry, a, 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 uh, a researcher working on something, you want to be able to get your name out there and get a reputation for it. It's it's good for you in the industry. But also, the sharing of information and collaboration is what makes it better. And so that's something that in the academic community is commonplace, but in the corporate world is a little not so much. Um, and so Apple, being the most tight-lipped company perhaps on the planet, uh, was not allowing their researchers at the company to share their work on these types of things, automated vehicles, machine learning, uh, all, applying to all sorts of aspects. There, there, were, there were two sorts of sides to this problem. The first is that if you're doing research of this nature, you need to have a large enough data set to be able to work with. Right, you have to collect right. information, and Apple, because of their stance on privacy around user data, made it very difficult for for people, or at least seemed to make it very difficult for researchers to be able to use the data set. And the other side is, is as you say, sharing research to be able to learn and build on on other people's research. Yeah, uh, you know, researchers will go and present their findings at conferences and things like this, and they were prevented from doing this when they worked at Apple. So it was a problem for Apple because while they wanted to keep what they were working on secret, they couldn't draw top talent. And there was a story a couple of years ago about how there was kind of a brain drain supposedly going on in Apple's R&D team because these researchers were basically felt like they had their hands tied behind their back. So Apple has, uh, as of this week, kind of backed off that. Um, issued an internal memo to uh, folks working on their teams, let them know that it was okay. They did a presentation this week. And so all three of those stories kind of converge and, and uh, come to the same thing where you can see that Apple's working on an autonomous vehicle, um, but y you would be surprised if they weren't. And we've talked about this many times on the podcast. Well, of wait, course wait, they're wait. working on moonshot projects. Wait, are, are they working on an autonomous vehicle of their own making or are they working on an autonomous vehicle system that can be incorporated into someone else's vehicle? Well, the, the correct answer is both. The, the, the reality is we don't know what will come to market. But, of course, Apple is concerned building their own car. Of course, they've also looked at the problems with building your own car and thought, mm, maybe we shouldn't do this. The latest rumors claim that Apple is focusing right now on just the autonomous system, the brains of the car, and they're going to come back and reassess about whether they'll build the car themselves or license out the technology and make you know a partnership or something like along those lines. Um it would be new for Apple to not control the entire experience, top to bottom, design, everything else. But Well, uh, no, no, not necessarily, because I think of, of CarPlay, where CarPlay is an entertainment system that exists on top of other people's radios and amplifiers and, and other even interfaces. Yeah, but when you get into CarPlay, it's kind of its own segregated world. It's not, it, it's not like... Um, it's not like well integrated into other systems. It's basically you tap on CarPlay and then it kind of takes over everything is what it looks like. Uh, yeah, although it does have shims to take advantage of, of built-in car systems should the implementer choose to use those. You, know, you can control your car AC or your windows and lower door locks from within CarPlay if the, the implementer has done that. Yeah, I feel like CarPlay is one of those things that we'll look back on kind of like the, the Moto Rocker, the iTunes phone that <laughs> Apple made. Where it's like, good idea. They had the foresight to see where things were going, but uh, the early stumbling, not really worth it attempt that was the predecessor to what really came. Mm. CarPlay is such a small window of what this really is. And, you know, whether it's the Moto Rocker and iTunes songs but on I, your I like it Motorola so much better phone, than the Moto Rocker. 
<laughs> well, that, but that, it doesn't mean that it's a, that CarPlay is a bad product. It just means that if you compare the Moto Rocker and what it did versus the first iPhone and what it did, uh, think about CarPlay in that way versus what Apple's eventual autonomous vehicle will be, whether it is a vehicle they make themselves or whether it is just the brains of the vehicle. Um, CarPlay is just such a small slice of that. It's just the entertainment-focused part of it, and it's going to be everything else. It's going to be... Uh, it's going to be artificial intelligence. It's going to be automated driving. It's going to be all of those types of things because the future is headed that way. I mean, this is obviously the next big thing in tech that everybody's focusing on and working on right now. All the big companies are looking into it. And there's a reason for that because uh, they can see the future coming in that direction. Definitely. And, you know, the the one question that analysts ask a lot is what's going to happen for Apple when they've hit peak iPhone? And if, if, if they've hit peak iPhone, then the answer is these other things that they're exploring, right? Yeah, I, I, I've always hated that peak iPhone nonsense just because this is a company making cash hand over fist. But Wall Street is just so focused on growth, 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 growth. And when you're the biggest company in the world, how much more can you grow? Uh, if I were Apple making the amount of money that I'm making and stashing cash, you know, uh, hand over fist, uh, I would not be too worried about my future prospects. It's not like Apple's going anywhere. Okay. So r- wrap up the car bit for me. Do you, you, you predict both car, they're, they're pursuing a car. You predict they're also pursuing a separate system that could be integrated with car partners. And when do you think we're going to get to drive one of these things? Well, let me be clear. I think Apple <laughs> is pursuing everything. I think that they're pursuing VR headsets and things that look like Google Glass and things that will never, ever come to market because Apple would be stupid if they weren't doing that. Of course they're doing that. They have they have more money than anybody could even fathom. Uh, they have a huge research and development Skunk Works team working on anything that you could possibly imagine. So, of course, they're considering building a car. Um, what will eventually come to market, the logistics of building your own car and bringing it to market and all that are, is a huge hurdle, uh, not quite as simple as uh, making a watch or making a phone. Uh, I think that at the very least, Apple will make some sort of brains to a car and release that at some point. I think that that is they've invested enough in it at this point that I think that that they're going to they're going to pursue it. They don't want to be left out of that market. And you certainly don't want to be in this uh, future where Google uh, and Uber uh, know everything about you and, and drive you everywhere. Uh, that would be kind of terrifying. Um, and I think that's another reason why Apple wants to get on that space, not just for financial reasons, but, uh, you know, Google's already got an ability to listen to, you know, your Nest thermostat and know in your home and stuff like that. Like, do you really want them to know where you're driving to as well? Uh, or Facebook or any of those companies? So, um, you know, a, a, hardware focused uh profit focused on sales type type of company like apple in the space i think it would be good for the market okay let's talk a little bit about the 2017 iphone so in in the past we've talked about it as as being a miraculous device right one that that changes the design on its outward appearance that has curved glass that that uh, gets rid of the chin and forehead of the phone and all kinds of things uh this week we ran a report that mikey wrote up saying that the the iphone 7s that would that is a 2017 iphone is going to retain the external design of the current 7 yeah um i mean the expectation is that next year you're gonna have three iphones so uh, you're going to have 
the two that you've been getting every year for a few years now, the, the, the plus and the regular. So if they stick with the same naming conventions, one would be a iPhone 7S and one would be an iPhone 7S Plus. Based on years past, you get a handful of new pieces of technology in it, some, some hardware upgrades, um, some new capabilities. Um, and, and that's just the way Apple has rolled for, for years now. Um, the, the question is what, uh, is going to be added to those phones versus what will be held just for this rumored new high end, uh, quote unquote iPhone eight. So the rumor is that next year being the 10th anniversary of the iPhone, uh, Apple is going to introduce a third model that is going to have a completely new design, unlike the seven S and seven S plus. Um, and a ton of new technology in it. So there were some earlier reports claiming that uh, so-called wireless charging, um, meaning, um, uh, you know, uh, you could, uh, mag- you know, attach it to a pl- charging pad or something you, like that. You, like you, you rest it on a charging pad of some sort yeah. and it charges without having to plug a wire in. Yeah. Um, th- there was a rumor that all three phones coming next year uh, are going to get wireless charging technology and glass backs. Uh, now uh, the rumors are kind of backing off of that, or at least this latest report is, and it's claiming that maybe wireless charging is only coming to the high-end iPhone 8. If you want that feature, you got to get the 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 max out model. Uh, otherwise, if you get the lower end models, you get the just lightning charging. Uh, don't forget that there was a uh, rumor and, and uh, parts or not parts leaks, but schematic leaks uh, earlier this year showing a smart connector on the back of the iPhone 7 Plus that I never actually that. came that never actually came to be. But that could be one way that Apple takes its existing technology from the iPad Pro, applies it to the iPhone 7 and gives it a quote unquote wireless charging Um that you know that would be an interesting way of doing it um and could have some potentially interesting applications whether or not they do that with the 7s line or just the 8 uh this picture will get clearer as we get closer to the iPhone release next year but when you're you know almost a year out uh things can be a little murky and the picture starts to solidify but it seems pretty consistent that we are going to be getting three phones next year and what do you think about this idea of the invisible home button and and extending the screen to the 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 forehead and chin of the phone it makes sense um i I think the technological uh difficulties of um embedding the fingerprint sensor into the screen is where i'm most curious as to how it's going to work uh but you could certainly through software uh you know kind of say hey put your finger there to scan it or maybe it's across the entire screen and you can just put your finger anywhere i don't know um it would certainly be pretty neat to uh, just have it automatically scan your finger no matter where you touch the screen, and then you just start using the phone, and it knows that it's your finger. Um, but they've certainly paved the way for it with the iPhone 7 by making it so that the uh, home button does not physically click. It simulates the click. Uh, it feels weird um, when you use it on the iPhone 7. It's definitely unique, but it works, and you get used to it pretty quick. So I would imagine if they were to use that same technology to just get rid of the uh, uh, the button entirely, it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. Okay. I, I want to touch on something you mentioned earlier. We talked before about briefly the, the idea that you could use the Apple TV or the iTunes store to pre-order motion pictures. Mm-hmm. And 
one of the things that that it looks like is Apple is pressing studios for earlier access to films so that you it would be possible to to rent a movie either shortly before it shortly after it premieres or or even while it's still in theaters yeah it's it's a cool idea um, and I'm a big fan of it because uh, unfortunately the the experience of going to the theater has degraded significantly over the years um, to the point now where uh, I'm, I'm extremely picky about what movie theater I go to just because, you know, you'll go to places where they can't even get the picture lined up right on the screen or the audio is out of sync or there's, you know, there's like uh, uh, marks and defects on the screen itself. Um, uh, you know, the, the floors are not clean. Uh, the amenities are terrible. Run down you the know, list. And so I was about to say that I have a great movie theater. And then as you were ticking off the list of things, I was I, 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 I said to myself, yeah, actually, I've had that experience. We, we have a so beautiful theater, but go ahead. I'm very fortunate. Um, I live in uh, Brooklyn, and they just opened the Alamo Draft House near me. Oh, uh, and I, I got to that. go to it last week, um, and I finally got around to seeing Doctor Strange there. And the experience, for those that don't know what the Alamo Draft House is, it's originally based in Austin, Texas. It's kind of a cinephiles theater. Uh, and uh, they have a strict no texting, no looking at your phone policy. They kick you out of the theater if you do it. Um, they have these big leather plush seats. I I had to sit in the front row because I got there late, but it's assigned seating. You get there, you pick your seat uh, as you pay for your ticket. Um, I had to sit in the front row, which was not a big deal. Um, The seat reclined, um, and uh, they bring you uh, food and drinks to your table, but they're very discreet about it. They come out, and you you write it on a card and stick it up front so there's no talking required. Um, Wait, you have tables at recliners? Yes, tables and recliners, and it's... It's not any more expensive than any other movie theater. It's a great experience. Um, So I'm spoiled with that, and I love that. But I also, at home, have a uh, projector with a 5.1 system and, you know, everything set up the way that I like. And so the problem becomes, for a lot of these theaters, my home theater experience, you know, with a Blu-ray or or getting something on on iTunes in 1080p or higher resolution even, um, it's... Uh, it is a much better experience sometimes to watch a movie at home than it is to watch it uh, in the theater, especially if you don't have a good theater near you, if you're not fortunate enough to have an Alamo draft house or, or whatever. I, I just want to point out that I have a, a Cinemark theater that has recliners that are electric recliners. They don't have tables, uh, but they do serve beer and, and proper food and things like that. And no, no more of the cost for a regular ticket. Yeah, so. That's great. You don't have to have an well, Alamo the, the, Draft House. There are good theaters out there. Yeah, but you're there, right. The there, home experience here, can be superior. There, there's a few here in town. You know, there's another one called Nighthawk Cinema in Williamsburg. That's pretty great. Um, but then there's a lot of just dumpy theaters where they just don't take care of it. And one of the things that really kills me when you go to the movies now is, uh, uh, you know, everything's a big blockbuster with a bunch of big explosions, and none of the construction is very good on the theaters. So you go, and it's like you're in a really quiet. Uh, intimate scene in a movie and next door, you know, Transformers 13 is playing and robots. You hear the rumbling right through the walls. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, this is just a, it's just a bad experience all around. And the the days of the two screen theaters are gone. You know, we don't have that any longer. It's unfortunate. And and then, and then when you factor in, you know, at some theaters, the clientele, especially if it's a Friday night and it's a bunch of kids there or whatever, they're on their phones. They don't really have the same respect for the movie going experience that maybe I do. Um, and it just you becomes, snob. it's like, yeah. And it just becomes why, why would I pay you $15 to see a movie? Now, if I could do that at home, 
Um, in many cases, I would, not only for the convenience of it, but because it's a better experience. And if I got to go to the bathroom, I can pause the movie, stuff like that, that you just could never do. I would still prefer to see it at a nice theater because that experience of going and the communal experience and having the big screen and having the great sound quality when done right is amazing. But so many theaters have gotten away from that and just turned it into, you know, just quick commercial entertainment with no focus on quality. Um, and so that's why I think this is great. The one thing I will say about these types of uh, digital releases while still in theater, they've been done before. Um, it's been experimented with a few times. I think Steve Soderbergh did it with a couple of his releases. Um, the thing that people don't realize about this is that it's expensive to get the movie at home. They end up charging somewhere between like 30 and $50 to rent the movie, which Oof. to a lot of people sounds crazy until you factor in, well, if you got a family of four and you're going to see Finding Nemo or something and you're paying $15 a ticket, multiply that times four, what did it cost you to go to the movies? The reason that they charged $30 to $50 because they know you and all your buddies or your family or whoever can all get together and sit on your couch and watch the movie and not go to the theater and then they get less money from it. So they to watch it early at home, the price is always way higher than you would imagine. It's not going to be $15, $20 to rent a movie that is currently in theaters. It's going to be $35, $40 more. Right. So it, it's it's almost advantageous that you really have to get the party together to watch because otherwise if it's just yourself or yourself and one other person watching you're you're in fact paying a lot more than you would if you went to theater yeah and and that's not that uncommon you know people do that all the time with like pay-per-views for boxing or mma or wrestling or whatever you get people together to watch it and pay the 60 dollars for the pay-per-view because you do the math and you go we could go to the bar they're showing it there but if everybody gets drinks and food and all that then it ends up being you know over 100 bucks for the four of us or we could all get a pizza and chip in and cover the 60 dollars ourselves and watch it here at home and so that's why you do i mean nobody sits at home and pays 60 dollars to watch a pay-per-view nobody is going to sit at home and pay $50 to watch, you know, Fantastic Beasts on their own. Uh, it's one of those things where I, 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 I feel very alone now. I need to go make new <laughs> friends. No one, you say. Wow. I, you know what? Let's move on. Tell me about the Power Beats 3. So, um, <laughs> and I know I didn't give any intro to that at all, but, but you, you got a set, right? I did, and uh, I was just laughing because I, I always think it's funny when uh, you read the comments on uh, uh, the internet of, of things that you write. So I did a review of the Power Beats three, and everybody is going to comment. Don't leave me there. What's what are the comments? Well, you know, everybody has um, a different thing that is going to appeal to them about a headset. So. For example, I did this review and and I test out call quality with the uh, with the Powerbeats three, but not to any great extent because when I'm running, I don't take phone calls. But then somebody texted me after reading my review and they're like, "How's the call quality?" Because my current headphones, I can't take calls when I'm out running. And so everybody has a different use case scenario. I, to me, the fact that you would take calls while out running seems crazy to me. It's just like calls are a feature that is included on the phone. It works. The end. You know, like yeah, if if you're running and I call you, you're going to be panting in my ear, and that's going to suck. Everyone's use case is different. So let me give you my use case and why I love these headphones, because you can't you try to write the review as generically as you can to apply to people. But at the end of the day, it's our own experiences that make these products worthwhile or not. So 
for me, um, I hate running with my phone. I hate having it on my arm. I think it's stupid. It, you know, bounces around. It's annoying. And it's a distraction because if I do get a phone call or a text message or something, I'm getting bombarded with stuff when I'm just trying to focus and, and, and go for like a quick three, four mile run. I just want to, I want to get it over with, want to burn some calories and just be done with it, push myself, challenge myself. That's it. Right. So I prefer to run without my phone. So the Apple Watch, especially Series 2, is a godsend. Uh, I can load up uh, two gigabytes worth of music onto my phone, so all my newly added music I have on there. It automatically syncs and updates, so if I download a new album at night, my phone pushes it to my watch. I always have that latest album that I bought or whatever on there. And my I can leave my phone at home. It's got GPS in the watch, and then my headphones can connect directly to the the watch. The problem is sometimes you want to use your headphones with something else. So if I'm going to the gym and I'm not going outside for a run, I will bring my phone because then I can have my full selection of music, and you know, if, uh, and it's not really a big deal because it's not going to be strapped to my arm while I'm running. I'll be you know lifting weights or something, right? And so then what I would have to do with my old phones, which I use the um, uh, the Plantronics Backbeat Fit, which I loved. Um, I would have to uh, power them off, put them in pairing mode, power them back on in pairing mode, go into my iPhone, uh, select to pair with them, have it connect, and then now it's back with my iPhone. And so I'd go through this song and dance all the time, which is, by the way, a big pain in the butt on the watch. You got to go to the home screen, go to the settings, go to the blue, and like, it's just, it's even more difficult on a tiny screen, right? So the Powerbeats 3 with Apple's W1 chip completely resolves this. The headphones will automatically connect to any Apple device that you have with your iCloud logged in. That includes your Mac, that includes your, uh, your phone, that includes your watch. And so if you start playing music on your watch, um, it'll pop up and say, where do you want this to play? You choose the Powerbeats, bam, you're done. That's it. No repairing, no reconnecting, none of that nonsense. Don't have, don't have to worry about it. Don't have to do anything. Then you get your phone back. You want to play on there. You just choose uh, Power Beats as you would, you know, an external speaker on your phone. Bam, starts playing there. Same with your Mac. Same with your iPad. Run down the list. Not only that, the uh, signal strength is so much better. Uh, so with my old uh, Plantronics headphones, the watch just, and we've talked about this before, it would just drop out. Uh, the Bluetooth was not reliable and it was not the headphones so much, or I'm sorry, it wasn't the watch so much as it was just Bluetooth technology. It was any pair of headphones that I tried with it. I would end up with some issues on some days. I don't know if it's because I live in New York and there's a lot of wireless interference or if it was atmospheric conditions on some days, but there were times where if I took my, if I was just out running with my watch and I put my wrist down by my side, I would lose connection with the headphones. So, so did that happen with the Powerbeats 3? Not at all. I could not get it to lose connection when I was running. I could put my arm over my head, at my side, behind my back. It was I in in testing it and going on multiple runs and workouts. It did not lose connection between my watch and the Powerbeats once. Not once. Okay. How do you charge the Powerbeats three? Uh, so this is another thing that people complained about in the comments. They don't like that the Powerbeats three charge through USB C and not Lightning. Or I'm sorry, wait, USB. Wait, wait. Uh, it's not. Um, uh, it's not USB-C. I'm sorry. It's micro USB. Okay. I so wish it- micro use. Uh, that's that's what I was going to get at. Was that so? We, we Apple has a female lightning port. Yeah. So they can charge on, things by lightning. They they use that. On I'm, their, I'm just saying uh, in general studio. they have them. Okay. And they do have it on other Beats products. They have a USB-C connector, which they're very happy to use on the MacBook Pro. And yet they went with micro on the PowerBeats three. And there's a reason for that. The reason is, uh, from my understanding, the Power Beats are the best-selling Beats product. 
and most people that use them don't use them with Apple products. Therefore, if they would like to continue selling a lot of Powerbeats headphones, they need to have a connector that is not going to have all those other users freak out. And for those users that don't necessarily have a lightning cable, uh, they went with micro USB. So, so the answer is next year it'll be a USB-C one, likely. Or, or lightning or, yeah. Whatever. Okay. So from your review, you, you wrote, we'd categorize the fit and comfort of the Powerbeats 3 as good but not great with obvious areas for improvement. But you also wrote that they're exceptionally comfortable and produce no strain or irritation after extended workouts. Right. So, so the clip around the ear, here. yeah. So the clip around the ear, it's comfortable, and the fit is relatively good. The problem that I had was there's a there's a cable that runs uh, around the back of your neck. Someone in the comments tried to say that you're supposed to run the cable under your chin and not around the back of your neck. Well, every single photo on Apple's website shows it running. Yeah, around no the one neck does cable. that, right? <laughs> so uh, it's a little cold out, and I run with like a hoodie, um, but I have it, you know, like down on the back. I don't put it over my head. But what I found was. When I had the cable too loose, it would kind of snag on the hoodie. When I had it too tight, it would kind of pull on the skin on my neck and stuff. And that would cause the earpiece to kind of shift just a little bit while running. You have to get the seal just right to have the sound quality be perfect. And so the headphones are very comfortable. Uh, I did not have an issue with them on my head at all. I've had some where you put them in and they hurt your ears, those in-ears are just uncomfortable, whatever. I did find that every mile or two, I would kind of have to tilt the uh, the headphones toward the back a little bit to get that to re-get that seal to really get the the sound quality to where it has to be because once it pops out of your ear a little bit uh, the sound gets very washed out so you got to it, it requires a little bit of finesse so what I would love to see in a Powerbeats four or whatever is completely wireless earpieces left and right yeah. no cord connecting them let's ditch the cord. Right. One of the things that I do is I replace the the little silicone rubber tips that come with these things with uh, comply foam tips, which are meant for for high quality earbuds because they provide a, the foam expands and makes a good seal. And, and that would probably could. be a good solution for something like this if you can get that good seal in there. But again, it's you got to balance the comfort and getting the seal and all that. Um, yeah. one, one of the cool things about the Powerbeats is the uh, the thing that goes around the ear. I didn't realize this at first until I read the, the ear hook, the manual. Yeah, the ear hook is bendable. So um, the uh, the metal inside of it, you can just take it and bend it as you need. So I needed a little bit more snug on my ear to make sure it wouldn't move as much. And I did that and it made a huge difference uh, because by default, when I put it on, it was just kind of moving and I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. But then when I adjusted it, uh, it was much better. So that's why I say that the, the fit is good. Um, it, it There are obvious areas for improvement, but um, it's comfortable, uh, which is obviously very important for that kind of thing. You don't really notice it. It's not an issue. It's just that cable around the back is kind of the Achilles heel of it. Um, it's not really a deal breaker. And I, don't, I think if somebody wasn't running, if they were just, uh, you know, uh, doing weights or something like that, it really wouldn't be much of an issue. But if you're turning your head and, you know, looking for traffic as you cross the street and running and that kind of stuff, you may run into a few problems. So so what you really wanted were AirPods with ear hooks. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I want something that uh, is going to be secure on my ear. Yeah, AirPods look ridiculous, and I know that if I were running, they would fall out of my ear. Yeah, so Air, AirPods with ear hooks. Got it. I've, you know, somebody's probably <laughs> got to have made... Or, Someone's clip-on ear hooks for AirPods. <laughs> yeah, they got to be coming, because I just would not, I would not trust... Um, I have a, a pair of uh, uh, Jaybirds or something. Uh, I, yeah. I forget what they're called. Uh, but they're one of those ones that just like go in your ear and uh, don't have a clip at all. 
and you know they have a bunch of buds that come with it and they just fall out of my ear just from standing around they just fall out of my ear i can't get them to stay in no matter what i do and it's the same problem i turn my head and the uh the cord will snag on stuff and pull them out of my ear so um you know the airpods are a cool technology they look kind of ridiculous like your lobot from uh star wars um but I feel like, yeah, something like that with some ear hooks would be would be spectacular. But one of the really cool things about the Powerbeats um, is not only do they get really great battery life, like 12 plus hours of uptime on a single charge, but they also have uh, quick charge technology, the same stuff that's in the Apple Pencil. So you plug in your um, uh, headphones for like five minutes and you're going to get more than an hour of charge out of these things. Excellent. 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 Okay. Now let's move on to the MacBook Pro. Tell me about the MacBook Pro that you were using. So I had, I tested the uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro with Touch Bar. Um, and really, you know, when I because my current system is a uh, 2015 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro with Perfectly competent a, machine. Yeah, with a um, uh, Force Touch trackpad. And uh, the the best thing that I can say when I, when I test out and review loaner products like this is I don't want to let them go. I want to keep them. Um, I really, really like this 13 inch MacBook pro a lot. Um, and I don't want to let it go. And that's really the best thing that I can say about it. I don't need it. I can't justify the price for it. Uh, it's too expensive. Uh, if you're in the market for a new MacBook pro right now, uh, I would get the touch bar model over the non touch bar model. I like the touch Mm bar. Um, I think that you know, people will dismiss it as gimmicky. Um, I think that pretty much anything on a modern computer that gets added to it when we've refined it so much is going to be gimmicky to some extent. Uh, but I found it to be very useful in some cases and, and gimmicky in others. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed the touch bar um, and I got used to using it and I liked it. Um, and I think it's a cool new way of interacting with your Mac. Not Certainly not essential, but uh, it, it showed a lot of utility in, in my time testing it. And I really like the chassis of it. The USB-C doesn't bother me so much uh, as the ditching of MagSafe. Um, and I, I could see myself um, really investing in an ecosystem of USB-C docks and accessories, uh, docking station to really turn uh, my home desk into kind of a powerhouse working station when my laptop is there and then to unplug and on the go still have this great computer. So what what do you think needs improvement? What, what you, you talked about how much you like it. What, what do you think is... Um something you're waiting to see improve on it um well the price is the most obvious uh it starts at 1700 dollars, and that's more than apple was charging for the uh 13 inch Ma- uh, retina macbook pro when they did the last redesign when it first when it first launched it's just too much um it's hard to justify uh, that price for this machine. It's just, a, it's a very, very expensive laptop. And it's, uh, the design is, is spectacular. The design is really, really fantastic. But yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. I said $1,700. It's an $1,800 laptop. 1799. I mean, yeah. It's, a, it's an $1,800 laptop. It's a lot of money for, for a laptop. Um, you know, the, the touch ID fast user switching is really cool. Um, and, that's something that needs to come desperately to the iPad. Um, 
you know, the 15-inch the model um, has the discrete GPU, which is great, um, but th- they both max out at 16 gigs of memory. There, there really should be a 32 gig option, especially on the 15-inch. I think for most people, 16 will be fine. But $1,800 for this laptop is a lot. This should this should have been priced at least $100 less to match the price of the entry-level uh, Retina MacBook from, you know, four or five years ago when they first introduced it, because even that was too expensive when they first introduced it. Uh, and a lot of people are going to have problems with these USB-C Thunderbolt 3 ports just because if you, you know, are charging your your uh, phone or your gadgets, like one of the issues that I ran into, here's a great one. There is no way to charge your Apple Watch with a new MacBook Pro without some sort of an adapter. None. Because while you can buy a USB-C to lightning cable for your iPhone, um, you if you have just a straight magnetic cable without a dock or something, um, mm. you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to plug in your uh the, your uh Apple Watch because Apple doesn't no, no, sell no, no. a USB C charging. Wait. So what? You, but right, but there's a USB C to USB A adapter, which is sold then you got to bring an adapter. Okay, but but bear with me because I own one of those adapters. It's it's sold. They're sold by many different companies. You can buy one from Belkin. You can buy one from Pure Gear. They're 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 easy to get a hold of. They're not hard to find. I think they I saw them in Target retail. So it's not like this is a hard problem to solve. It's just a slightly inconvenient problem to solve initially. What I would do if I had this machine full time is I would take everything that I have that is uh, lightning, everything that I have that is micro USB or whatever, and I would just buy the necessary cables. Because most of my devices, like this mic I'm using right now, this iRig Studio mic, is a USB-A to micro USB. And I'm sure, I haven't looked, but I'm sure that there is a, uh, a USB-C to micro USB cable out there. There's got to be, right? Uh, a USB-C to micro? Uh, I believe so, yes. Yeah, so I would just buy, a you know, for $8 on Amazon or whatever, I'm sure it's not that expensive, a USB-C to micro USB cable, get rid of this one now, no need for an adapter, that's it. Now, a lot of people are going to be annoyed by that, but the I would alternative just get the is, one adapter and switch cables around as I need to with the adapter. It's not a big deal. See, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to mess with the adapter. I would just get a bunch of USB-C cables. I would just go whole hog okay. and just switch. Fair. Because, you know, otherwise, you know that you know that everything's going to be switching to USB-C eventually, so it would just eventually. be... It would be it would just be it would make my life a lot easier and that that is how I would deal with it but I don't really see it as is that big of a deal like for example I the biggest loss for me more than the USB C ports would be the SD card slot I use the SD card slot on my MacBook Pro all the time that's um, because you use a professional camera and shoot stuff all the time correct so I think you know um I could see myself uh getting a charging slash docking station um for the MacBook Pro that would allow me to uh, connect it, have it charge, and also have a USB, uh, you know, USB A ports and SD card slot and HDMI and anything else that I want, you know, sitting in this tiny little box on my desk that that does all this through one cable, and that would be nice. I would like that, uh, and I and I would take the loss of MagSafe uh, and the loss of the ports to have something that's just one cable, and I got everything good to go, and that's it. That, but that does highlight one of the one of the the um, issues I think here is if I were to do that setup, I would also be thinking, well, I'd like to power a monitor with it too, and then you can just plug it in and kind of stash it away, and then you have this monitor and you can do a keyboard. But then you don't have the Touch Bar because if you clamshell your MacBook and only you use lose the Touch Bar, mm-hmm, which then is like, well, why did I spend eighteen hundred dollars on this when I can't use the Touch ID and I can't use the Touch Bar? Um, I think that 
I don't know how they would make this work wirelessly with the technology and all that to make it secure with well, we've the talked, enclave. We've talked about people having like third part, uh, having a standalone keyboards with touch bar built into it, right? The idea that Apple might make a keyboard with touch bar as an accessory. I, yeah, and, and I don't know, especially because of touch ID on the touch bar to the right of it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how that would work secure wise with a wireless keyboard because, you know, Apple's not going to do a wired keyboard. No. Um, um, hmm. Hmm. I uh, would love to see, because I could see myself, if you really wanted to go really all in on this, right? The advantages of USB-C and Thunderbolt 3 and, you know, uh, run down the list. You plug in one cable to your MacBook Pro. It charges it. It powers a nice big 4K or 5K monitor. Uh, It has your SD card slot, HDMI, USB ports, whatever. And then when you want to go on the go, you just unplug your your uh, your laptop, and then now you've got the all of the stuff that you need just in a portable and you know with a smaller screen. But it's great. Uh, and, and you know, so we had something this last week where Mike uh, had tested out um, uh, a, a friend of his had uh, hooked up a, a external graphics card and kind of hacked it to work with the new MacBook Pro. And they found that they were able to to really make it work. Like yeah, we do. talked about that last week. Yeah, and it's cool. It's very cool. I, yeah. So you know the possibilities, uh, especially when you only have to connect one cable to make this kind of stuff work. Um, you know, when you start thinking about it in that way, it's really exciting. And so I'm 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 sold on USB C and Thunderbolt three. I think it's great, and I think that the uh, compromises uh, and the short term pain are worth it. A lot of users are going to feel differently. They're they're going to need to connect stuff all the time. They're not going to want to buy cables. They're not going to want to buy dongles. They don't want to deal with that stuff. You got to know that going into it. If you're okay with that trade-off, I think you'll be really happy with this machine. Okay. So there, there've been some early reports about the battery battery life falling short of what Apple estimates it to be. Where, where Apple says this is a 10 hour battery and historically Apple tends to underestimate yeah. You know, they, they, they say 10 hours and you can get 12 out of it potentially. Um, but here, people are reporting that they're only getting about six. When I do battery tests on mine, I tend to just do, I'll, you know, crank up the brightness and put a 20-hour a YouTube video on just as, to see what it does, you know. Hmm. Um, Real-life use is impossible to really say when it comes to battery life. I've, I've read these reports, you know, of people... Uh, saying that they have these issues, and I'm not saying that they don't exist. I'm sure that they do. But my point is that the, it, it could be anything. You know, it could be an app. It could be whatever. Well, I'll just when I test them out, I'll use the standard Apple built-in apps. I use Safari for the browser. You know, mail, uh, messages. You, you know, try to stick to that kind of stuff and see right. what I get out of it. The battery life is comparable to my uh, uh, to my MacBook from last year. I didn't. Right come across as any different to me but if you use an app like google chrome can be a battery hog you know certain things that people use they just they drain the battery yeah and and when i do my own sort of experiential testing like this i tend to set the brightness down all the way to the the first block i set the bluetooth off i use wi-fi only and uh, go with safari only and only run one window one tab yeah and not, you know try, trying to eke it out as opposed to beating on it right yeah, and you can do like automator scripts too that'll like change and like turn off Bluetooth and all this stuff when you're not on battery. If you really want to get crazy about eking out more battery life, you know, get the get the brightness real low. 
it, it's so hard to say when people talk about battery because you hear the same complaints about iPhones and, and other stuff too. You know, my battery, my yeah. battery, my battery. It's like, well, what are you doing? And you go look at their, you know, it's like background app refresh is on and Facebook is being used 14 hours a day. And it's like, well, no wonder you got no battery life. You're using your phone all day. Mm-hmm. Another thing that we've seen reports about that Mike wrote about was a, uh, a GPU anomaly where there was there was a um, problem about glitches in the login screen and glitches in Apple's Photos app and things like that that seemed to stem from switching between the Intel integrated GPU and the discrete Radeon Pro GPU. Yeah, for the 15-inch. Some reports say 13 as well. It's kind of inconsistent. Okay. So... There, there was an email that appears to come from uh, Craig Federighi, where he says that uh, there, there, it's all software related, and that everything software related has been rectified. So it's it's something that seems to be fixed in the latest Mac OS uh, twelve ten point twelve point two update. Yeah, it seems like a relatively minor software issue. Um, I think the bigger issue was the speakers being blown out. Um, and potentially ruin through hardware if, if you ran Windows on the new machines. I, I think they fixed that one, too. Yeah. So so there have been some early uh, wrinkles, let's say, for the first couple of weeks for users. Which but, is to uh, be expected. It's to be, I, I haven't had it. Well, no one expects your speakers to blow up. Let's, let's be fair. <laughs> well, don't install Windows. How about that? Uh, there you go. <laughs> All right. So is what, what else is, would you like to give as a parting thought for, for the review? Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, uh, there are certainly compromises made with a, a machine like this, and Apple is very forward-thinking, and they're thinking toward the future, and they're embracing it. You know, there are some people saying, well, they should have put uh, full-size USB ports on there alongside USB-C ports. I mean, that would be crazy. I, I don't know why they would want to do that. That would be kind of stupid. Um, I think that, you know, there's going to be some growing pains, and there are going to be some people that just don't want this machine that don't like the the compromises that it makes and and maybe they'll get an older mac or stick with their older mac or maybe they'll jump to another platform and and you know that that's at that point that's a business decision that i can't really question apple on because you know they're they're smarter than i am but you know in terms of what it offers and the design and everything else um this is a really really great machine um my biggest complaint with it has to be the price uh for eighteen hundred dollars that's a lot of money to ask for this and a lot of people are going to look at the one without the touch bar for fifteen hundred dollars, and that might, that might be an attractive option. Um, and it's got you know a, a slightly slower RAM um, and only two Thunderbolt three ports, not four. Uh, I can't recommend the fifteen hundred dollar one for most people. Um, I think that the faster RAM and the Touch Bar and Touch ID, um, you you really if you're going to buy now, uh, you want to go for that. But I really think Apple should price this thing around seventeen hundred. I think that would have been a better move. Okay. Well, this has been the Apple Insider Podcast. Joining me, Neil Hughes, Editor-in-Chief. Neil, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at thisisneil, N-E-I-L, and uh, you can read my stuff on Apple Insider. Excellent. I'm Victor Marks. I'm at vmarks on Twitter. And uh, if if Neil wants to talk all about Lobot next time on the Apple Insider Podcast, oh, I we'll do. be here for you next week. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you. And, and feel free to leave reviews on iTunes. We, we love hearing from you. Please email us, contact us to let us know how you like the podcast and what you'd like to hear more of. Uh, we're here for you, and we're so glad that you listen. Thank you. <laughs>